All right, so we are continuing on in this four-part series on perseverance. Okay, so when I say perseverance, um, I don't just mean good old-fashioned, you know, persistence and grit, even though those are good things and needed things. You know, perseverance is needed if you try to start a business and you need to get it off the ground or the kind of thing that you need to make it through tough times like a pandemic or if you're, you know, fighting about with cancer. You need perseverance. So certainly you need it for those things. But that is a kind of general, every person perseverance um, that isn't necessarily the bullseye of our focus um, this morning and in this series. So lots of people can give you advice for how to have like stick to you know, to stick with stuff, to get through stuff. But this is not just advice that we need this morning, and that's not what we find in God's Word. This is not like a self-help pep talk this morning. We're focusing on the perseverance of the saints, okay? How do we stay faithful to Jesus all the way to the end? Because let's be honest, (laughs) there's a lot of people who seem to start, like Christians who seem to start, or at least professing Christians, they seem to start pretty well, but then they just walk away from Jesus. I mean, the Bible uses the language of falling away or making shipwreck of your faith and other expressions. So, I mean, how many people do you know personally who fit that description? I think the longer we live, the more we have seen people start out and then just, they're not even on the radar anymore. And it breaks your heart. So there have even been a number of higher-profile Christian leaders who've denounced their former faith in the last year. Some some call it deconversion or deconstruction. Some call it losing my faith. In fact, I read um, a guy on social media recently who said, every time one of my old favorite Christian artists drops a new album, I get scared it's a deconversion one or something. Just saw the new Josh Garrels album. Check the playlist. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Peace like a river. Wash me clean. Huge sigh of relief. I mean, sadly, that's a concern because we've seen this happen over and over again. So those who do walk away, were those people Christians in the first place? Like real Christians in the first place? We'll actually talk a little bit about that next week. Okay? But the primary point this morning is not to criticize or condemn those people. That's, they're in God's hands, and God knows their heart and their future story. If they're not dead, their story is not done being written, right? But God knows. The point this morning is that we wrestle with those fears, and we have need of endurance. So, Am I going to endure to the end? How do I persevere in the faith all the way to the end? Because not only are there people who, you know, thought they were Christians who fall away, there's also, you know, around us, and that can kind of unsettle us, there's some scary, sobering warnings in the Bible, right? So Matthew 24, for instance, Jesus is speaking of the end times and he's talking about how it's going to get worse. And he says, many, in verse 10, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. 
And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Has that one ever sent chills down your spine? Like, I know I've seen my love go cold, and I am fearful that that would happen to me. I don't want that to happen, right? But oftentimes we know these wonderful truths about the gospel, and our heart's just flat and cold. So you hear a warning like that, and you're like, oh, Lord, keep me. Or think of the parable of the soils. Jesus told that parable, you know, guy goes out, sows the seed. Soils two and three, pretty sobering. This rocky soil, right? It grows up quickly, but then the sun comes out and it withers and dies. And Jesus interprets the parable and he says, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when the heat gets turned up, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So it looked like real growth, but the heat proved the fact that it was not the real thing. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. That's pretty sobering. Anybody ever experienced that dynamic? And it proves unfruitful. But then the true Christian is the fourth soil. Okay, so these are sober warnings. Or to bring it into the book of Hebrews, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning, kind of a flyover through the book of Hebrews, touching down in a few different places. There are some very sobering warnings in this book. Don't worry, we're going to get to the good news. But we need to feel the weight of these warnings. So Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Whoa. Or Hebrews 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Old Covenant, Old Testament. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And there's more sobering statements in Hebrews. We'll leave it at that. So 
do you just kind of ignore texts like that and hope they go away? Or do you press into them and honestly examine your heart and cling to Jesus? Where do you go with your fears? What do you do when you notice some hardening in your heart? Or what do you do if the the spiritual temperature is dropping in your soul? Or what do you do when the alluring power of sin, the false promises of the world, start to grow and get some traction in your heart? Like, am I the only one, or do you feel antsy sometimes, spiritually? Like, soul-hungry. In search of something to curb your hunger, to slake your thirst, to scratch an itch to calm your nerves, to dull the pain, to stimulate the deadness. Lots of things we can run to to do that that are not Jesus. And it will harden our hearts. So what do you do? Where do you go? What do you do when you want to just quit and give in and give up? When you just want to say, ugh, what the heck? Or What do you do when you just did? And you're just riddled with guilt and shame. What do you do? So this is no joke, right? We're not just going through the motions here this morning. Life is of eternal consequence. We all live on the brink of eternity. If life was a trapeze act, which I'm glad that it's not, Um, It's hard enough, but we're not doing it with a safety net. You can't hit restart. You can't hit new game like life is this, you know, video game. So we need to run to Jesus, not away from him. Book of Hebrews, with all those warnings, is basically there to say, run to Jesus, not away from him. You don't need to go clean up your act before you can be worthy to come to him. You go to him to get cleaned up. As the song, Come Ye Sinner, says so well, all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. So as we look at the book of Hebrews, we are going to get pointed over and over again to Jesus. He is what we need. He is who we need. He is who we need to trust. Faith in Jesus is at the heart of perseverance. It's at the heart of the book of Hebrews. So the Christian life is like a marathon race, a race of faith. And unbelief is the most dangerous threat. Also, as we look at the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that the Grace of a good spiritual rumble strip is oftentimes what we need. There is grace in warnings and wake-up calls. Okay? You know what a rumble strip is? You're driving late at night, you get tired, you start to nod off, and the car wanders, drifts, and then it's boop, 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 and you're like, whoa, okay, <sighs> got to stop at the next rest stop and get coffee, put the window down, and you know, So that's what these warnings are intended to do. 
not to just make us, you know, slaves of abject terror, but to keep us from running off the road into the ditch and over the cliff to keep us on the path following Jesus, running the race that's set before us with our eyes fixed on him. Okay? So first point, book of Hebrews, have it open. We're going to look through a number of texts. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1. Point number one, don't drift. Okay? The writer writes, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the book begins, in the past, God spoke to us through our forefathers. He spoke at many times and in various ways. But in these last times, he's spoken to to us in his son, the final revelation, the word become flesh. And that is what we need to pay attention to. But they were drifting away from Jesus, kind of going back into their religious comfort zone. Rituals. Old Testament, you know, rules and rituals and away from Jesus. So they were in danger of drifting. They weren't paying attention to God's word. They were distracted from Jesus and were drifting away from him. Ever felt like that? This is very relevant for us. Later on in chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, the author writes this, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises so again they were in danger of spiritual sluggishness listlessness they were growing dull and cold again ever felt that way (laughs) I certainly have so Enter the good rumble strip. Spiritually sleepy, drifting. Chapter 3, the passage that Hannah read. The author quotes Psalm 95, which is basically a commentary on the Israelites in the wilderness. Okay? Isn't that fitting for the Hebrews that are in danger of wandering and drifting away from Jesus? So those people in the wilderness in the Old Testament, they were rescued from Egypt. They were redeemed. But they fell in the wilderness and did not enter the promised land. They grumbled and complained, and they didn't trust God. They hardened their hearts and they fell away. That's what we should fear. We should fear unbelief. We should fear that kind of hardening that leads you to fall away. So don't harden your heart. Don't refuse him who is speaking. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion. Listen. Pay attention. And take care. Point number two. Look down at verse seven. As the Holy Spirit says. Isn't that interesting? Quoting Psalm 95 which was written, you know, way back when, but the Spirit is speaking now through the Word. So the Holy Spirit says today. So it was true back then. It's true. It was true in the first century. It's true for us today. Today, like now is the time 
to seek the Lord. Don't wait for some future time. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore, he took an oath. In my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So therefore, he then applies that to his readers, and he says, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, as long as there's opportunity to turn from sin and trust in Jesus, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So take care of your heart. We need to take care of our hearts. We need to tend to our souls. We've got to guard our hearts from the hardening effects of sin. Sin is deceitful. It wants to have you. It wants to own you. It wants to destroy you. And if we're not on guard against the deceitfulness of sin, awake and alert, it will erode our faith and harden our hearts. So we should fear unbelief. We should fear an unbelieving heart, like it says in verse 12. So let me just stop here for a second and make a little distinction between an unbelieving heart and a doubting heart. Those are not the same thing. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. In fact, there is such a thing as believing doubt. It can actually be the servant of stronger faith. You remember that guy whose son needed rescue by Jesus and Jesus you know, was going to come and free this boy from this demonic oppression and the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Which, which is it? Both. I believe, but I'm struggling. Like, help me believe. So, uh, guy named Barnabas Piper. He used to be in our college ministry back when we were at the church in Chicago, and um, he's written a few books now, and his most recent book is called Help My Unbelief, Why Doubt is Not the Enemy of Faith. Okay, so back in April then, I think the book came out in January, back in April, I ran across a little post at Lifeway's site, um, like a blog post that he had written, and just found it really succinct and insightful and wise, and I can link to it on the blog so you can read the whole thing uh, this week. But just reading the intro thoughts, and you can find that on the website, link to the blog down at the bottom, and then I'll, I'll get it on there tomorrow. So reading the intro thoughts and just the headings of the four points he makes is helpful and worthwhile. So here we go. The word doubt is an uncomfortable one in most Christian circles. It's something that is frowned upon or even condemned in many church circles. But that doesn't stop us from doubting. It just makes doubting shameful for many of us. We don't know what to do with it, who to talk to about it, or how to talk about it. We just know that our questions feel like they're pulling us away from God. But what if they aren't? What if doubt isn't inherently wrong? And what if doubt is something that doesn't necessarily undermine our faith, but can actually lead us deeper into faith? How we respond when we doubt determines whether it is unbelieving doubt, which leads us away from faith, or believing doubt that 
which leads us to deeper faith. So here are the four ways to distinguish unbelieving doubt from believing doubt that he lays out, okay? First, unbelieving doubt asks questions in order to challenge, kind of like a prosecuting attorney, putting God in the, the dock and examining him. Believing doubt asks questions in order to learn, like a child who doesn't understand and comes to their parents with sincere questions. Second, unbelieving doubt takes questions to anyone but Jesus. Believing doubt takes questions directly to Jesus. Again, I believe, help my unbelief. You see it? Third, unbelieving doubt questions God's character because he is beyond our understanding. If I don't understand it, then I'm calling his character into question. Believing doubt trusts in God's character because he's beyond our understanding. Again, humbly understanding that we, compared to God, are like an ant to Einstein. I mean, that's not even a good comparison, you know? But of course there's going to be stuff that we don't understand. His ways are so much higher than our ways. So we trust his character even when we don't understand certain circumstances or questions. Fourth, unbelieving doubt says, not your will, but mine be done. Believing doubt says, not my will, but yours be done. Like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. So coming to Jesus with our unbelief, help my unbelief. See how that actually is the fight of faith? (laughs) That is faith fighting to stay on course to keep running the race of faith. So what is it you're struggling with? Is it lust? Can you go to Jesus with that? Does Jesus have any resources for you with that? Like maybe you're reluctant because of past failures, repeated past failures. Well, past failures leading you away, to Je- away from Jesus, is that going to help you actually overcome <laughs> No, you'd be cutting yourself off from the grace that you need to fight that temptation. Jesus offers satisfaction that can free us from those lesser false promises of satisfaction and pleasure. Or fear. You're struggling with fear and anxiety. Does Jesus have anything to say about this? Does he have any grace for you? in that regard. Again, we could multiply promises and truths, and that's exactly what we need to do. Have our struggles lead us to Jesus, not away from him. If it's a lack of love, you're just like done with people. (laughs) Do you ever feel like that? Like just tapped out, and then another need comes your way. What are you going to do? run to Jesus. He's got resources. He's got more grace than we have sin and emptiness in us. Like he, he wants to fill us up with his grace. So awareness of sensitivity to our sin, like knowing that sin is deceitful, know that, knowing that we're going to have this proneness to wander, 
if we're sensitive to our sin and the temptations and the deceitfulness of sin, and we have this awareness of our Savior, His great love, His grace is so abundant, He wants to give it to us. That is so vital to the enduring Christian life. So J.I. Packer, who actually passed away two days ago at 93, he once wrote, He that has learned to feel his sins and to trust Christ as a Savior has learned the two hardest and greatest lessons in Christianity. Honesty with our sin and clinging to our Savior. So we've got to learn how to connect all of our temptations and struggles to the truths and promises and purpose of Christ to tether our souls to the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Tethering our souls, being stabilized, given ballast by his promises. Very great and precious promises that are ours if we are his. It gives stability to our lives in the midst of, you know, storms, whether internal storms, you know, fears and doubts and struggles, or external circumstantial storms. Where do we find ballast? It's tethering ourselves to Christ and his promises. So this is how we gain stability and avoid being like the helpless victim of every emotional circumstantial whim. This is how we run the race that's set before us with endurance by the grace of Jesus, fixing our eyes on him. And you know what? We don't just do that for ourselves. We don't just take care of our own hearts, though we need to do that. We don't do this take care thing alone in a vacuum, like lone rangers. Yes, we need to guard our hearts, fight for our own faith. We need to take care that we're not drifting, growing cold and hard. But we need each other. You need others in your fight of faith, and others need you for their fight of faith. That's why our community groups exist. That's why we encourage everyone to get into one. If you're not, into, not in one and you'd like to be, you can find the groups on the website and you can email the leaders or call them or you can shoot a note to info at bbcde.org and we'll help you get plugged into one. They are meeting virtually for the most part, um, but still you can get connected that way. See, sin is antisocial anti-community. It keeps us from communion with God and close fellowship with others. The devil loves to get us isolated and alone. So Tyler and I were actually talking about this this past week, and I think it's, it was on the heels of something we were reading together and discussing, and he mentioned that the strategy of a lion is to isolate the weaker or younger antelope, right, or zebra, and then pounce. And, you know, 1 Peter 5, Satan is like this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So that's exactly what sin is going to do, isolate you and make you easy prey. Our growth in grace and our perseverance is a community project. We need each other. So I love this quote by Ray Ortland. Ran across it last year. He says, never give up. Someone else needs you. They need your weakness 
anguish, bewilderment. They need to see a buffeted Christian go to Christ and hang on for dear life and make it through. They need that from you today, and they will need the memory of it years from now. Hang on. So I mentioned that J.I. Packer died on Friday, two days ago. So he was faithful. He endured to the end, 93 years. Many Christian leaders have written already of their appreciation for him. So I'm just going to read you. I'm not even going to mention the authors because I'm taking little snippets from about four different people. Um, I read this late last night on uh, the Gospel Coalition, I think, or Twitter or something. I don't know. Anyway, so here we go. On Friday, July 17th, 2020, J.I. Packer entered into the joy of his Savior. He was 93 years old. It is nearly impossible to overstate Dr. Packer's impact on generations of Christians around the globe. He was a titanic figure who carried himself with no swagger, a giant of grace who walked with a limp. He wrote this book, Knowing God. It's a classic, okay? Sold over a million copies. In this book, he writes, Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. (laughs) Aren't you glad that you don't just relate to God the Father as judge? He's also Father. I actually added this in at the last minute so we don't have a slide for this, but six things a Christian should tell themselves every day. This is Packer again. One, and I'll put this on the blog because I think I need this every day. I'm a child of God. What if you woke up and this was the first thing that you looked at on the mirror on on a sticky note? I'm a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother, and every Christian is my brother or sister too. Do you think that might help orient us as far as running the race that's set before you? And then he says, say it over and over to yourself, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, anytime your mind is free, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is all utterly and completely true. Another person wrote, it may be two of his final books, Weakness in the Way and Finishing Our Course with Joy. Listen to those titles. Weakness is the Way, Finishing Our Course with Joy, that most reflect the heart of this servant. Packer was the epitome of what might be called a devotional theologian. He was, to be sure, a theological mind of the first order. But with Packer, theological study was never theology for theology's sake. Why am I going through all of this? Not just to eulogize J.I. Packer, but to show you these are the things that have encouraged those leaders. They've been encouraged to keep going by his example and his writing. And those are the things that kept Packer from falling and enabled him to persevere 93 years to the end. So that's how he made it. And it's helped so many others continue to run the race. So think about these things. He's encouraging you right now, even though he's dead. 
today so that you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, so that you would keep running. A couple more people that spoke of him. He saw himself as a voice that called people back to old paths of truth and wisdom. His entire life was spent resisting the idea that the newer is the truer, only what is recent is decent, every shift of ground is a step forward, and every latest word must be hailed as the last word on its subject. Though he was willing to address and engage the controversies of his day, he wrote, I should like to be remembered as one who pointed to the pasture lands. I I, want to feed God's sheep. In knowing God, he wrote, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. And then one more leader. We have now, we have by now lost not only J.I. Packer, but a whole generation of magnificent Christian leaders. They have left us inspiring examples and no excuses. Their stories stand as living proof that our race too is runnable as we look to Jesus. Let's keep going. You want to keep going? I want to keep going. How? Is it getting warm in here? Is it just me up here? You could nod your head. I can't see your snow. Is it? Okay. Maybe somebody that knows how to work that thing could maybe drop it down a degree or two. Um, Anybody? Anybody? (laughs) Nobody's moving. Tyler, you want to just catch Tom and, yeah, okay, great. Um, So, point number three, how do we keep going? How do we keep from falling away? Not just by like a, keep going, but by laying hold of grace. So, point number three, draw near. Hebrews chapter four. So, turn to Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I hope you feel the need for mercy and grace to help in time of need. You know, hear those warnings and it'll wake us up and sober us. But again, God wants us to draw near and receive tons and tons and tons of help. Draw near with confidence. If we are in Christ, we can come to the throne and it's a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment because Jesus already paid for our sin. He already took our judgment for us in our place. We've been reconciled. So the Father says, welcome, come in and receive mercy and grace to help us in your need. There is no helper like God. And yet again, we so oftentimes go everywhere but to him. So listen, Jesus came. He took on flesh and blood in order to help us. Like it says in Hebrews 2, 14, to 18. I'm going to skip down actually to verse 18. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You have a sympathetic high priest. He's walked a day in our shoes. He's been tempted. He's suffered. So he is willing and able to help. So what happens? The Spirit of God tugs on our hearts, conscience, when we're tempted. 
Sometimes we just stick our fingers in our ears. We stiff arm Holy Spirit, but he's there to help us, to keep us from wandering and just ending up in the ditch. Jesus understands. He's sympathetic. Do you know that? Do you know that's the heart of your Savior, that he is sitting at the Father's right hand interceding for you? Jesus is expert in helping with temptation, with suffering, with dullness, with coldness, with pain, with loneliness, with fear, with anxiety, with guilt. Like it says in Hebrews 7, 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Imagine overhearing Jesus praying for you. Can you imagine if you were sitting in your house and you just like overheard Jesus praying for you personally? Like how, what effect would that have on your heart? Would, the, would that be encouraging to you? Like let's say you were struggling. I, th- I think you'd be like, whoa. I think that would probably encourage me. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the righteous, his prayers are effective. That's good news. We can draw near. We can do so with confidence. We don't have to hang in the back, you know, in the shadows because of our past sin, afraid that he'll be too busy or annoyed or disappointed or whatever. Like, he's never going to say to you, what, you again? He's never going to respond to you that way when you come to him for help. He'll never say, what are you doing here? (laughs) We can come with confidence to receive mercy and grace to help us in our need. Hebrews 10, 19, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, if the blood of Jesus has atoned for your sins, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, it's finished. He paid for it all. You can have confidence to enter into the presence of God. We have a great priest over the house of God. Let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And then look where he goes from there. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So just like chapter 3, you come. We need to come, each of us, individually, and be encouraged. And then we go and encourage our brothers and sisters. Consider how we can do that well. Don't neglect others. Don't neglect your own heart. Don't neglect your brothers and sisters. Engage and actively seek ways to encourage them. Perseverance, as it was said, I think John Piper a long time ago said, perseverance is a community project. So we need to draw near with confidence, get the grace and help that we need to persevere in faith, in hope, in love, and then go share that faith and hope and love with others who need it. So you and I, we've got need of endurance. So let's run to Jesus so that we can run after Jesus on the race that's set before us. So point number four, quickly here, run. Don't drift. That's where we started. Run. Quoting J.I. Packer again. The Christian's motto should not be let go and let God. 
but trust God and get going. <laughs> Again, book of Hebrews, don't drift, run. And the help in between in the book of Hebrews is look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at all you have in Jesus, draw near to Jesus. In the strength that he provides, you will be prepared to hear the exhortation at the end of the book. You have need of endurance. Don't throw away your confidence. Keep holding fast and run. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And then skip down to verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So brothers and sisters, let's pay careful attention to our God and Savior. Let's not drift. Let's run the race that's set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the pioneer. He blazed the trail. He opened the way. He is the perfecter and finisher. He's the author and finisher. He's the alpha and the omega and everything in between. He who called us is faithful. He will hold us fast all the way home. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your great, great faithfulness, your persevering, stubborn, covenantal love. We thank you that because of your faithful perseverance to keep your people, we can come to you for grace and mercy to help, and we can follow after you, running the race of faith all the way home. And we can help each other as we stumble and fall we can help each other all the way home. Help us do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.